right, good morning, Summit Church. Uh, as Brian said, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are concluding our series in the power of love, where for the last four weeks, we've talked about all of those issues, singleness, dating, marriage, how to raise a family in the city, and today uh, we conclude with parenthood. I'm particularly excited about this, and uh, hope you are too. Even if, like Brian said, some of you uh, feel like on the very front end, you might not be able to relate to this at all. You, you may be already putting up some of the hesitations, like I'm not anywhere close to that. Um, let me start, though, by, by just saying this. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you may have noticed, uh, really in your own life, particularly, this is where I notice it the most, uh, you may have noticed your Facebook newsfeed. It's really seemed to have morphed over the last few years, <clears throat> almost into what seems like an online baby scrapbook. Has anybody else ever noticed that? I mean, like, suddenly it seems like all of your friends are having this unspoken competition. Who can post the cutest uh, baby announcement? Who can post the most creative gender reveal? Who can, you know, find the cutest picture of their kid to show you? And you're and suddenly seeing on your newsfeed all kinds of crazy things like ultrasounds and little baby shoes and pink balloons and all these signs that we're expecting. And you're like, what happened? Like, what happened just like, it seemed like a few years ago, social media was something completely different, and now it's, it's this. And if you're anything like me, uh, you feel that not just in social media, but you see this in your own lifestyle as well. Birthday parties now seem to be more common, commonly filled with two-year-olds running around the room amped up on sugar at, at 7 p.m. at night while, while the half of the world is really just kind of getting ready to go out and enjoy their night. You already started the bedtime routine. And some of you are participating in some of the most riveting conversations now about sleep schedules and stroller recommendations and, and, and potty training, all kinds of conversations that you couldn't wait to have in your own life. And, and you're not the only one surprised by this. I mean, I even think about our church here. Even today, as I kind of look out and see our church, you know, when we started, when the Summit Church started, we had one kid in the entirety of our church. We had one child. And we, you know, to be honest, we had no idea what it looked like to live in this city as a parent, to do life as a parent here in Denver. We had no category really for what that was like, but by the grace of God, our church is kind of growing up. Single people are getting married, married people are having kids, even our kids are starting to get older, and that's really part of a dream come true for us as a church. Now, I realize, I realize that's not everybody. All right, some of you, you're thinking like, no, I'm not anywhere even close to that. I am years away from that, or maybe even never. And others of you, I mean, you, you maybe even think like, no, I'm actually on the other end of that spectrum, and I am way past that stage of life. But you know what? The reality is, regardless of where you might find yourself falling on the spectrum, if you're currently a parent or if you're not currently a parent, I think it's helpful for us all to recognize today that we're all in some way confronted with the realities and the responsibilities of parenthood. We're all in some ways confronted with the realities and the responsibilities of, of parent, whether you're a parent or you're not a parent. Um, let me give you just a few examples. Uh, maybe even for those of you who, who find yourself not being a parent today. Um, while you might not be a parent right now, all of you probably have parents. And as you think about those parents, uh, as you think about the way that you are growing increasingly independent in life as you grow up, you may even begin to notice that they are growing increasingly dependent on you, whether financially or physically or even just lifestyle. 
You find yourself giving advice and kind of speaking into decisions that are being made in much the same way that they used to do for you at one point. And when you kind of think about what the next 5 or 10 or 15 years holds for you and holds for them, I mean, that's kind of scary, right? There's a lot of unknowns that could happen in those next few years. And consequently, there's a lot of room for fear. Now, for those of you who are already parents, you're intimately acquainted with fear, right? I mean, it just, like, it just comes with the territory. From the very beginning, from the moment you find out that a baby is growing in your belly, you're like, there is all kinds of questions and there's all kinds of room for fear. The questions that you're able to ask, I mean, is she going to be normal? Will he be healthy? Like, how is this going to happen? What's it going to be like to give birth? That's a question. I mean, I even think about before Elliot, our, my son was born, um, I, I think in the months leading up to that, the doctors, for some reason, had some suspicions that there might be some type of physical or mental disorder. And we had to, I mean, we were seeing specialists, and we were running all these tests. And you can just imagine the types of questions that we were asking at that point. Is he going to make it? If he does make it, what's it going to be like? What's this going to be like for us? All kinds of questions. And gosh, when you think about it also, like, that's just before the child is born. Once the kid is born, I mean, the stakes only are raised, aren't they? And he's beginning, like, what kind of student is my kid going to be? Like, are they going to like him? Are they going to like her? Is she going to survive junior high? As a parent, uh, it's easy to wonder, I think personally, about a lot of these, these questions. And, and just even ask myself, like, am I going to screw up my kid? Like, am I going to mess up my kid so badly that one day he ends up writing a book about me? I really hope not. But, you know, if you're anything like me, I, I, don't, I just tend to, like, ask these questions a lot and think about this pretty often because I know um, my kids, they're growing up in a drastically different time and place than the way I grew up. And I say that, I'm going to say, you know, I say that while admitting, like, anytime you hear somebody talk about, like, how bad things are today and how good they used to be in the golden days, the, the good old days, like... I am the first person to say I'm very, very skeptical anytime I hear anybody talk like that because my first instinct is, ten, is I tend to think like it probably wasn't as bad as you remember. It's probably not, you know, it, or it's probably not as good as you remember. It's probably not as you, bad as you might think it is now. But you know what the reality is? It is very different. It is very, very, uh, it's just a very, very different culture in which kids are growing up in today. In fact, I read an article just this past week talking about the amount of sex the average 12-year-old girl is having these days. It's staggering. It's becoming the new normal. Flirting has gone from passing notes below your desk to sending nude selfies via text to a boy you've rarely even had a conversation with. When I think about that, when I hear the stories like that, I mean, when you talk, even just, this, this is just even like, you talk to some of uh, the most non-religious social scientists, you read what they're publishing right now, and they will tell you this is one of the most difficult eras ever for a kid to be raised in. You talk to any junior high or high school teachers, and they will confirm, they will tell you stories that are absolutely incredible. When the average age for a girl to lose her virginity is hovering right now around 13, 14 years old, when porn, which is, I mean, we all know like porn for many people is now just like, it has replaced sex ed thanks to the internet. But when porn goes beyond that, and it's now the, the, the modus operandi for 12, 13, 14 year olds, 
and learning and figuring out how to relate to someone of the opposite sex. Like that is, like porn is oftentimes the primary lens in which we view relationship with another person. When that's the case, there's no question, there's no question that this is not only an amazingly difficult time to raise kids, this is an amazingly difficult time to grow up. So what do we do with that? What do we do? Do we just... throw your hands up in the air and consider ourselves hopeless. This is just one more reason why I don't want to have kids. This is just one more reason why I don't want to bring another human being into this broken world. Do we ignore it? Pretend like, "Uh, I'll take my chances. We'll probably be fine. Deny the reality. You know, I'm a dad, and I've got two kids myself, a little girl, a little boy, and I think like most people... I mean, when you hear those types of statistics and you hear those stories, yeah, I mean, it's easy to think that is terrifying. And to be honest, it is alarming to me. I mean, I can only imagine what life is going to be like 10, 15 years from now as my children grow up and as many of you who might not yet be parents will most certainly be parents. You know what? As alarming as that is and as difficult as that is for me to grasp and as anxious as many of you right now currently already are as parents, I'm not terrified. I I wouldn't say I'm terrified. I don't think that we need to be. One of the reasons why I think the Christian faith is so incredibly helpful and relevant for us today is that it is never, ever, ever caught off guard by times like this. It is never caught off guard by times like this. You read a Newsweek article about 12-year-olds having sex, and then you read the Bible. You know what the Bible says? Yep. Not surprised by that. Could have told you that. Could tell you a whole lot more. That's why Christians, Christians who genuinely understand the gospel message and the implications that it has on our lives, we can look at the realities of a broken world. We know personally the stories of fear and anxiety and heartaches, and we're not caught off by those either, are we? Because we not, only know the despair, not, we not only know the disparity between what, uh, what is and how it ought to be, we understand why that is. We understand why there's brokenness. We understand how our sin affects ourselves and others around us. And ultimately, we know what Jesus is doing about it. How he loves to take that which is broken and turn it into something beautiful through his death on a cross for our sin. As we trust and we follow him, he brings about this amazing healing and redemption to our lives and to this world. Now, what does that have to do with parenthood? Well, one of the core beliefs here at the Summit Church is that the gospel changes everything. It speaks to every part of your life. What we've been trying to show you really over the last several weeks as we've talked about relationships, really what we try to show you every single week is that when the gospel message breaks into your life, it not only speaks, but it radically transforms every category of who you are down to the way that you date and the way that you marry and the way that you raise kids. And so today, uh, what I want us to see really is how parenthood, when done under the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ, when shaped by the gospel, it can be a beautiful hopeful, important part of our lives, and not just an area or a season that we, we, we try to endure for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So uh, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning. I want to just talk about two things, all right? Two things. I want to talk about the power 
of parenthood in our lives, and then uh, the call to parenthood, all right? The power of parenthood, and then the call to parent. Now, I want to begin this morning um, with this first point by really just trying to reflect on a little bit how, how it is that we are most shaped or influenced uh, in, in life, maybe even question what it is that has the most power to influ- influence and impact us uh, into the people that we are today. And I say that because here's, the, here's my observation. I feel like that we tend to believe culturally, sociologically, I, I'm, like, I'm talking about a grand level here as a people, as a nation, I feel like we're mo- we, we tend to believe that we're most influenced and impacted by the things that happen in our wor- world, maybe politically or technologically, maybe it's the, you know, who, the person that's voted into office, the po- office, sorry, I don't know what I just said, the person voted into office, the policies that are passed um, in our country, the, 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 the device that was brought onto the technological market, that once it hit, it seems to have changed everything radically. It impacts every single part of our lives. And I think, um, you know, that really seems to make sense when you think about it, especially those two categories alone, just for examples, politics and technology. They seem to really have a really important sway in our lives and influence over us, uh, particularly in this generation. And if you think about what's happened in our lives, uh, in our lifetimes, politically, when you think about what's happened in our lifetime, technologically, um, you know, we have reason, I think, to believe that those are really, really powerful influences. I think where I hesitate there and where I tend to, like, begin to push back a little bit with just a few objections, uh, first, I'll give you two. First, I think there's got to be a recognition of just how absurdly fast technology is rendered obsolete. I mean, just think about this, for example. I mean, can we show this picture? We have that picture. Look at this. Does anybody know what that is? What is that? An Apple II, yeah, I heard somebody say it. Apple II computer, that was the very first computer my family owned. And uh, that thing is good for like one thing. What's it good for? Oregon Trail, absolutely. It's like 100 pounds, it's good for one thing. And that, at some point in my life, was considered state-of-the-art technology. Now there are landfills filled with them. I mean, I think that's how I, I, I think I just have to think about technology to at least some degree. But Secondly, when we really, really stop to think about it and slow down, maybe on a more serious level, on a deeper level, when we really think about it, I mean, here's the deal. Nobody, I mean, nobody really believes that politics or technology or education or any other sphere like that really holds the most sway or influence in our lives when we go through difficult seasons in life. I mean, I feel like I meet with people all the time people who are walking through some of those difficult circumstances in their lives. Some of the people who are making the most important decisions in their lives, trying to figure out who they are and what they should give their lives to and relationships and marriages and everything in between. And you know what I never ask? Tell me about your iPhone experience. <laughs> no, I, I, I've never said that. It's like, oh, like you're really struggling with your identity and trying to figure out who you are? Tell me about the way you use your laptop. Oh, like you're really fearful of being a first-time mom? You're not really sure if he's the one? You have problems within your marriage? How does your political affiliation speak into this? No, of course not. I'm never asking those questions. You see, what we need to see today, I'm really convinced, is that our very own experiences back up the very thing the Bible teaches us. 
that nothing comes anywhere close to the influence a parent has in our lives, for better or for worse. Why? Because if you think about the seasons, some of the most shaping experience in your life, you think about the very reason why you do some of the things that you do, the traditions that you keep, the habits that you have, the beliefs that you hold, the stances that you take, most of them can be traced back years and years and years to behaviors and ideas and practices handed down to you by your mom or your dad or whoever it was that raised you. For some of you, these are overwhelmingly positive practices. I mean, you have great parents that did their very best to love you well, and you have certain traditions now that you carry with you to this very day. You believe, like in your own family, this is the way that we celebrate Christmas, right? And, and there's like no other way. This isn't just like a way. This is the way. This is the way we decorate the tree. This is the way we hang the stocking. Like this is what it means. There are ways, the traditions that this is the way we vacation now as a family. And you're very committed to maintaining or reproducing those traditions in your family because of how important and how sentimental and on what type of impact they had on you growing up. And that's really, really great. Now, others of you, sadly, you don't even like to think about some of those things. And because when you think back on some of how the most scarring words that were ever spoken to you came out of the mouth of a parent, a dad who told you that you're a joke, that you'd never make it, that you're an embarrassment to the family, a mom who called you unattractive and fat and told you you should never expect any attention from boys. And today, like, when people ask you about family traditions, particularly around the holidays, I mean, you don't have any. At least none worth repeating. So we see this influence. Uh, it, it happens in practice, whether it's the traditions you carry or, or the habits that you have. But we also see this on a deeper, much more personal level. And here's, here's where I believe the great irony lies. Um, it's often, I think it's actually even comical at times, because some of you, when you think about your dad, for example, uh, the thing about him that most irritated you growing up, the thing that most frustrated you as a kid, and you would say to yourself, if there's one thing I'm going to make sure I never do, it's that. And now, as much as you want to deny it, you're becoming that very thing. Right? Have you seen this? Maybe it's a roommate that points this out to you or uh, a spouse that says to you, you know, you're really stubborn. And you get so angry at times. And you're like, ugh, dad, ugh. Or some of you, you think about your mom. Like she was very critical and sarcastic, and that always bothered you. And you always swore, I'm not going to be like that. I'm never going to be like that when I'm a mom one day, when I have kids. And in moments of frustration, you find yourself so negative and so harsh. And for some, I mean, to be honest, I use this as an excuse. I'm just the product of my environment. I'm just the product of my genes. It was the way that I was raised. My mom was like that. My grandmother was like that. So ultimately, it's not really my fault. Whether in practice or, or in person, we can't deny that we are deeply shaped and influenced by our own parents and will shape others as parents ourselves. We're not silos living individual, disconnected lives that have no bearing on others, but who we are and what we believe in and what we stand for a lot of times 
whether we want to it or not, it will be passed down. Now, this is actually quite remarkable. In fact, I think this can be really exciting depending on the way that we look at it. I mean, if you really think about it, it's incredible the amount of influence, really how far your influence will spread as a parent, how far it will extend into the future. I mean, just think about this. Do you realize it's likely that you will still be making a direct impact on your child's life in the year 2050, 2060, 2070. The year 2100, you probably won't be alive then, but there will be people who are, who are able to speak to the direct impact that you have had in their life. Is that not remarkable? We will laugh in that day about iPhones and MacBooks. They will be used as cheesy sermon illustrations in that day. But we will without a doubt know the influence that our parents have had that carries through generations. Now this, this is where we as Christians really see, really see the need to take the responsibility of parenthood very seriously. Knowing the degree in which it shapes our kids, knowing the difficulty of the environment that our kids are raising up in. And for some of us, maybe all of us, knowing the potential we have to do some serious damage we have to believe that by nature, being a parent means that we wield a very powerful influence, one of the most powerful, we are one of the most powerful sources of influence in the lives of our children today. So uh, if that's the case, let me just throw out two questions uh, for us this morning. How, how is it that we best serve our children as parents, and what does the Bible specifically tell us about the passing on of influence. Well, uh, I want us to look again at Psalm 78. If you still have your Bible open, uh, the passage will be on the screen too. The passage we read er- earlier. I honestly don't think that there, you'll find a clearer verse or verses that God gives us in the Bible speaking to the command for parents to pass on what they have begin, been given. Um, now, look at it again, what he says. Let's start in verse 5 there, Psalm 78. Uh, It says, the Lord established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that, that's kind of the clause there, so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, here's what the psalmist is saying. He's basically saying to God's people, you are where you are today because because those who have gone before you. Something has been passed on to you. Your fathers were faithful to teach you about who God is and what God has done. And because that has been passed on to you, you now have a responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. And not just your kids alone, but their kids as well. And not just them, but their kids. And then their kids. And on and on and on it should continue multiple generations. Now, I think we just kind of need to recognize today, it can be awfully confusing for parents. I mean, if you're anything like me, it can be awfully confusing just to know what the heck you're supposed to be doing. I mean, I feel like the first entire year of our kids' lives, it's just filled with us asking, what do we do? <laughs> like, what are we supposed to do right now? And Angela would say, I don't know. I've never done this before. What do you think we should do? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, you're the one that's supposed to have these natural motherly instincts. What do you think? Like, I don't, okay? It's broken or something. I don't know what to do. So I'm like, well, I guess we turn to what anybody else would turn to. Let's Google it. How to be a parent. 
And to be honest, I feel like this confused, I feel this often. I mean, it's not even limited to the first year. In fact, I think it multiplies every year as our kids get older and you find yourself almost paralyzed by all the different things, all the different things people are telling you about what you should be doing as a parent. I mean, it starts from the very beginning with having the perfect schedule and then having the proper amount of tummy time and then a really balanced diet. I'm like, my boy is eating literally anything that is not food right now. And anything that is food, he's not even remotely interested in it. A few weeks ago, we went camping, and the entire weekend, he had a steady diet of twigs and dirt. That's about all he ate the whole time. And so I feel that confusion. I mean, whether it's coming from all the different mommy blogs or the latest parenting book, all that seem to be changing every year. They tell you one thing one year. They tell you the exact opposite the year after. And you talk to this parent, and he tells you one thing, and then you talk to this other really opinionated parent, and they tell you something else, and you're like, what are we going to do? I mean, what are we going to do? I don't really know what to do right now. I'm not even sure we're doing a good job. I'm not sure if we're doing the right thing at all. So for me, uh, here's the way I'm trying to look at the call I believe God has placed onto me as a parent. Uh, I look at something like Psalm 78. I I feel like it is one of the clearest multi-generational commands given to parents. I see it says that one of the greatest responsibilities that I have is to teach my children to know who God is to know what God has done so they can live in the hope of the goodness and the grace of their creator. Now, you know what's strikingly absent from this command? How? How? It's amazing. There's not really a whole lot of strategy here or instructions included. Not that the Bible is lacking in this area, but I think on one hand, what God is doing here is he's trying to say to us, here's the goal. Here's ultimately the win that your kids will love and know and treasure and follow and obey me for the rest of their lives. And they will, tre- they will find it their greatest treasure to help their children know and follow and treasure and obey me for the rest of their lives. And how you do that might be a little bit different depending on your context and depending on your circumstances. It isn't a a free-for-all, do-whatever-you-want, but maybe there is a little bit of wiggle room to figure this out as we go. And so uh, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning. For for me and Angela, I feel like, um, I don't know, through a lot of trial and error, here just, I want to give us three things this morning that I feel like we've learned to be really helpful in accomplishing the goal of raising up children that will love and know the Lord. And um, I don't think we're experts at this. We haven't been doing it very long. But uh, hopefully this might be helpful for you. This is, these are some things that we've picked up in the last few years. Now, the first, um, one I, th- I think one of the best ways that we can serve our kids is by what I like to say, mirroring reality to them. Mirroring reality to them. My kids, uh, they're still pretty young, but I really think it's never so- too soon to really uh, try to make it a-, a priority to help them see the world clearly as it is and see themselves the same way. Uh, That's what I mean by mirroring reality. A lot of times, we as parents have a really bad propensity to distort reality. So we make the, you know, I think like things that are bad or broken or hard, we try to cover those up. The things that are really good, we give a lot more time and attention to. Exaggerate that. Um, That's why if you, I don't know, you've got parents telling their kids, like, you've got the most amazing singing voice I've ever heard. And a lot of times, they probably should just stop doing that. I mean, you have a little Sally growing up thinking, like, I've got skills, and she doesn't. And it's like, it'd be much healthier for that kid to grow up with a proper view of reality. 
to be able to intelligibly make sense of her world and herself as she goes, grows up and goes through life. That's the role of a good parent is to help your kids see reality clearly. Now, I try to do this with my daughter, Raleigh, uh, often as possible. And one of the things I feel like probably the best practice that I have, I don't have a lot, so this is one of the best that I have. Um, we love to go on walks. We go on walks all the time around our neighborhood, and I love it because I know that every time we go around our neighborhood, uh, I'm going to have the opportunity to just kind of speak to her. And oftentimes, I try to take advantage of that time to not only speak to her, but to pray for her. It sounds kind of a little, a little bit weird, but I just speak aloud as we're walking, and, uh, and it's kind of neat because she's at an age where she's really beginning to grasp a lot of these things. And so as I'm praying, I'm kind of directing this both towards her and towards God, because here's what I know. Um, this is kind of even what I say. Raleigh, we're walking through our neighborhood. I, mean, I know on that walk, she's going to experience things that I never experienced growing up. She's going to be exposed to things I was never exposed until much, much later in life. I mean, she's almost guaranteed to see, guaranteed to see uh, people from three different ethnicities, some of them that don't even speak English, on just the walk around our block. And so as we're walking, I'm praying, and I'm telling her, Raleigh, you're going to be exposed to things that I was never really exposed to. You're going to experience things that I never really experienced until much later in life. And my prayer for you is that those things would not break you, but they would make you one of the most effective missionaries to our city. That you would learn to love this neighborhood, that the love that you have for this city would far surpass the love that I have. That it would make my love pale in comparison. In fact, that's my prayer for not just her, but even for all the kids within our church. As I think about the story I want our church to be able to tell, I love dreaming about the idea that some of the greatest stories of life change, some of the greatest stories of city transformation occur not here with us, but our kids' generation. Years down the road, the Summit Church is known, not for us, but for our children and the impact, the difference that they are making for Jesus in this city. That's my prayer for them. That's my dream for them. I, I, think, it can be, I think it can happen. I want it to happen. I believe that's exactly what we should be praying for for our kids so that we don't shelter them from reality, but we give them the clearest view. That's why we mirror reality to them. We show them what life actually means, what it looks like under the reign and the rule of Jesus. That's the first thing. Secondly, um, I really feel like, uh, the second thing I think is really helpful for us to raise children who love and know the Lord is parenting in community. Now, just a few weeks ago, you heard me talking about marriage in community, and I'd almost transfer that word for word to parenting in community. I, I think it's, um, I think about how often we're able to take our marriages and put them in a category of just being untouchable. Nobody has permission to really speak into them. Nobody has permission to kind of give us advice or challenge the way that we do stuff. And um, if, if marriage can easily become one of those untouchable areas, parenting most certainly can. And uh, I'll tell you, I think this is one of those areas that um, I am just, as a pastor here at the Summit, I am so, so proud of the way I see parents in our community do this. I mean, it is amazing. I just watch men and women who are so humble in the way that they raise kids. And it's just, man, it, there's nothing that can make you more proud as a pastor to be able to watch families come alongside one another, doing life with one another, and being able to say to other dads, like, hey, how do you do this? Like, how do you do blank, whatever. Moms who are willing to say, like, I'm not really sure how to do this. Like, I tried this and this and this and this and this. 
and none of that works. Like, I need help. Particularly as you, I think you see this often after parents have a second kid and everything they tried that worked with the first one doesn't work anymore. Kids are just like that. And you're able to look to others in this church and say, hey, I need help. I need someone to walk alongside me, to give me some advice here, and to care for me, even just to help care for our children. In fact, this is one of the things I love about our church, that not even, I mean, you don't even have to be a parent to do that. So many of you right now, single ladies, are helping raise the kids of our church. You are acting like mothers to our children, and you're not a mother yourself, and that's incredible. Some of you men, we're able to look to and tell our kids, we know them, we trust them, and we want you to be like them. I love that we're able to say that about our church, and I want us to continue making that a priority as we raise kids, as we know it's always going to be the propensity of our hearts to turn this inwardly and not let others speak into it, that we give permission to other people to, uh, to help us raise our kids in community. Finally, um, one last thought before we close. The last thing I feel like is helpful in accomplishing this goal is having permission to fail. Now, when I say that... Um, I first mean that as we raise children, particularly as parents who believe the gospel uh, and what it says about our own failures, that Jesus takes our failures upon himself, he pays the penalty for them, and he extends to us forgiveness. He washes us clean. That Because he has done this for us, because he's been incredibly gracious to us, that we have the opportunity to extend that to others particularly our kids. Now, what that doesn't mean, when I say uh, we give them permission to fail in life, that doesn't mean we want to, as parents, set them up for failure. That's not what I'm saying. Well, I, what I am saying is that we're giving them opportunities, safe places, that when our children inevitably make bad decisions in life, that instead of them being immediately ostracized, uh, that doesn't happen. And, and we're not even really surprised when they fall short. But instead, the patterns of confession, forgiveness, and repentance would be so prevalent in our family that when our kids mess up, they know that they're still immensely loved. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. That's why he makes the absolute best father. He took us at our worst. He chose to love us, not because we were lovely, but to make us lovely, and then we continue to fail, and he continues to love and to forgive, and to extend grace. So we give our kids that same permission to fail. And we also, we also give ourselves permission as parents to fail. Uh, we're figuring this out to the best of our ability. And while we take this calling very, very seriously, uh, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. In fact, if we're living under the illusion that we are perfect, or that our responsibility is to be the perfect parent for our kid, I think at that point we've already failed our child miserably. Because at the moment that we're trying to think that like, I'm supposed to be perfect, I'm supposed to be the one, I'm supposed to be the savior here for my kid, and I have to control every part of their growing up. I mean, the very moment that we take a, upon ourselves that responsibility is the very moment that we're pointing children away from our perfect Heavenly Father. I think... Hopefully what this does is this liberates us as parents. On one hand, again, we take that responsibility very, very seriously. We see the calling of parenthood, one of the, one of the greatest callings and responsibilities in our lives. But we're also willing to admit, I mean, at times we really, really fall short. At times, if I'm just being honest, like I suck as a parent. 
It's true. I mean, there are days I want to do well. I want to be a great dad. I want to be the best dad. But there are days when I'm just not that. There are days when I, I fall short there, and I'm not the best dad. But even on those days when my kids aren't singing my praises, my wife isn't just so immensely thankful for me being around. I mean, I don't shrug that responsibility, but I'm able to rest in knowing that the opinion of the one person who really matters, God himself, like, he has accepted me and chosen to love me and looks at me as his son with a tremendous amount of grace and patience and forgiveness. I think that's what has to motivate us as parents. That's what has to encourage us. That's, what, that's really the kind of the paradigm, the lens that we view parenthood through. And um, just kind of to wrap this up, I think, you know, when it comes to parenthood, it really is an incredible privilege. It is a responsibility that we take on uh, when we sign up for it, whether you're ready or not. And um, the reality is we're never ready, right? I, you, if you're a parent here, you know that. Like, you are never, ever ready. It doesn't matter how much you prepare or how much you delay it in life. There's never a convenient time to have a kid. That's not even from the Bible. That's from my mom. She used to tell me that all the time. I heard her like taught so many couples growing up. Like, There's never a convenient time to have a kid. Never. You're always going to want to have more money in the bank. You're always going to be able to accomplish more in life. There's never a convenient, more convenient time to bring another human being into your household. But you know what? It is so good for us. It is. It is such a good thing for us as we learn how to follow Jesus still, as we learn how to continue to grow as men and women who want to faithfully know and worship God. When we have the responsibility to pass it on to others, when we have the responsibility to train up children, for Angela and I, I feel like the one thing that we return to time and time again is the truth that uh, we, we have just chosen to believe that we are stewards of our kids. We're not owners. God owns them. We just have been entrusted with them for a short time. However long he's been given, he gives them to us, however many he gives to us, whatever type that he gives to us, we are stewards. God is the one who owns them. They belong to him. And the story that we hope to share as parents, as we look at something like Psalm 78, we hope after a lifetime, we hope this for all of you as parents, that you're able to look at something like Psalm 78 after the end of your lifetime, and you're able to look back and say, yep, it's faithful. I wasn't perfect. Didn't do this flawlessly, but I can look and say, I was faithful to teach my kids to know who God is, to know what he has done, and to know why it is for their joy to follow him faithfully for the rest of their lives. That is what we desire to do as parents. That is our desire for you. And we want us to pray that that would be true within our lives uh, as some of us currently parent, as some of us prepare to parent, and um, as all of us, in some way, to some degree, make an impact on our children today. Why don't we pray, and then we're going to continue worshiping this morning. Father, gosh, it's a, it's a privilege that we're able to call you Father. That you are a good, good Father. That you love us unconditionally. That you call us your sons and daughters. For some of us, um, we never really had a dad like that. We never had parents like that that we could turn to to say, we were loved unconditionally. We were supported and encouraged and affirmed. 
some of us, our experience with parents was much, much different. Others, others of us, like, we, we did have that story of parents who loved us, cared for us, trained us to know and follow you. But God, I know that, gosh, the greatest news that we could hear, I think, this morning or any time in our lives is that regardless of the background that we grew up in, regardless of the family that we were raised in, that you have the power and the opportunity, the desire to bring us into a family of men and women who call you Father, who call you God, and who call you King. That is exactly what we need in life more than anything else, many, more than any other biological relationship, as important as they are. We know that we can turn to you as Father and that we can follow you and know you and we can be loved and affirmed. And so this morning, I just pray that we would believe that. I pray that we would treasure that. I pray that we would take our responsibility as parents and we would, we would believe how important that is and what kind of influence that makes on future generations. And we would, we would not take that lightly, but we would run into that with the assurance that you are beside us, carrying us along the way. And God, as we continue to be a community of men and women who collectively parent and collectively raise children, I pray that uh, the story we are able to share is that for generations, children are being raised up that know you and love you, love this city and love this world because of what you've done for us. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.